This is the Monday, May 24th edition of the Daily Wager Podcast. It's time once again to kick off another week, and there's a lot to get into. So settle in, and we're going to get you ready with everything you need to know heading into the betting day. Welcome one, welcome all to the Daily Wager Podcast presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app. Alongside Tyler Foljam, I'm Joe Fortenball. The opening round of the NBA playoffs is underway. We've got two big games tonight. So, Tyler, without even screwing around at all, which we'll do today on Bet, if you want some of that, mm. 4 p.m. Eastern on all of ESPN's digital platforms, it's the Bucks and the Heat. Miami came close, but they find themselves down one nothing. Game two is tonight at 7.35 p.m. Eastern. The Bucks are laying four and a half with a total of 222 and a half. You go inside, total, or prop in this one? Well, I'm going to play the exact same card that I played in game one, and that card cashed despite the overtime, which is Giannis under player prop points. I'll take the points in my pocket with the heat, and I'll play the under for the game. But I want to focus on one of my favorite postseason bets over the last couple of years, Giannis under 28.5 points. Now, this was 29.5 for game one. So the market's starting to slightly adjust, but I'm still going to take the under brother, Joe. He cashed not only as under in game one, but would hit the under for this mark in game two, despite the fact that game one went to overtime. So an extra five minutes still kept Giannis under the number in his playoff career. Giannis is averaging 22.6 points per game versus Miami in five games. The big reason why the heat pace, the heat uh, defensive scheme and the unique defensive abilities individually of one Bam Adebayo. Uh, so with that average, and I believe in those five games, either 5-0 and to the under or 4-1 and to the under. So this has been a very profitable bet. I'm going to still play it until it gets closer to 27 or 26. Giannis under 28.5 against Miami in game two. In the nine or so months that I've known you, I have watched you like a barnacle on a cruise ship latch on to three or four key bets. And I've watched you cash repeatedly on so many of these. I have a feeling another one might be coming up later in the show. Ah, But the Giannis under prop, the Giannis under points prop has been very good to you. You called it with the Lakers and Suns in game one. LeBron in game one is not a profitable angle. Play the other way, which is what you were talking about on Daily Wager last week. That'll be on ESPN today, ESPN 2 today, excuse me, at 6 p.m. Eastern. And they didn't cash in game one again. I'm actually going to play the over in Buck seat tonight. It's 222 and a half. I think a lot of people are going to look at game one. They're going to see that, what, 198 points were scored in regulation. It was a low scoring overtime. And as a result, they're going to think the same thing happens again. I can see that logic because it was a very good defensive matchup. Now, the total in game one was 227. So we've adjusted this almost five points south to 222 and a half. Let's go inside the box score. Milwaukee shot 16%. From three-point range, they were 5 of 31. All right, during the regular season, they shot 39% from deep. They were tied for fourth best in the NBA. So I see them obviously having some positive regression there. In addition, they shot 60% from the charity strike. Now, no one is going to tell you the Bucs are a good free-throw shooting team, but they shot 76% from the strike during the regular season. So there should be some positive regression there as well. Miami, on the other hand, shoots 36% from the floor. Now, during the regular season, they were about league average at 47%, but that's still 10% better. And then perhaps the coup de grace on all of this, the game one pace was 99.8. Not ridiculous. We'll talk about that more later. 
with some of the other games. But that was the 49th slowest game of the season out of Milwaukee for 73. So it was below their average. But that could be expected again tonight, given the way the Heat play basketball. Bottom line here is that with how poor these two teams shot in game one to get to 198 points, completely reasonable. I don't see them being that cold again in game two. And as a result, I am going to play the over 222 and a half since the total has been adjusted by almost five points. Let's head out west to the mountain time zone. In my opinion, the most disrespected of all four time zones, <laughs> 10.05 p.m. Eastern. The Nuggets are laying one and a half, total of 227. Tyler, they find themselves in an 0-1 hole, courtesy of Dame Lillard and the Blazers. What do you like here? The Rodney Dangerfield of time zones. Um, I wonder <laughs> if, despite the lack of Jamal Murray, if the uh, Denver Nuggets are getting a little Rodney Dangerfield treatment. I understand why you looked at Portland as a favorite or why people, the market, looked at Portland as a favorite where they finished the regular season. No Murray having all those bodies that can score. I still think the Nuggets are the better team. They went to the Western Conference Finals a season ago. Granted, Murray was there, but they have a guy like Michael Porter Jr. now who can score like a Jamal Murray. So I'm going to play a player prop. Surprise, surprise. I think the Nuggets still provide a, a good value to win the series, but I'm more confident about the player prop for Michael Porter Jr. because he there is, it is responsible. For, and this is what I'm going to latch on to, Barnacle yes, Joe, buddy. throughout yes, the buddy. entirety of the series because Michael Porter Jr. has to be not only MPJ, but Jamal Murray for the Nuggets in this series. Without Jamal Murray, they need someone to give them 25 to 30 points every game alongside whatever Nikola Jokic and the bench do or those other supplementary pieces. So, again, the prop is 23 and a half. I got to lay a dollar and a quarter. That's fine. He cast the exact same prop in game one, despite the fact that he went one of 10 from three-point land. Now, this is a guy who shot 45% from deep during the regular season. One for 10 is an extreme outlier for a sniper like Michael Porter Jr. So he was still able to get there through his dominant efficiency at the free throw line and in two-point range, despite the fact that he missed nine three-point shots. That won't happen again in game two. And I figure he's going to gun from deep as much as he did in game one because the Nuggets are in desperation mode. They want to tie this bad boy up before they travel to Portland. So all of these things combined to make Michael Porter Jr., I think, a very good bet at 23 and a half to go over yet again. And remember, he had 25 in game one despite the fact that he's one of 10 from downtown. One thing I'll ask you later today on bet, I'll give you some time to think about this. 4 p.m. Eastern, it's on all ESPN digital platforms as well as ESPN+. Plus. Um, at what point would you say no on the Michael Porter Jr. prop? Don't answer now. Think about it for okay. later. But at what number could it get to from a scoring perspective where you say, all right, the market is caught up. I don't see an edge here at any point. I'm going to pass. Doesn't mean you have to go any the other way. Just means you might pass. I'm going to play the Nuggets in this game tonight, minus one and a half. You're going to hear a lot about regression from me today for some of these games uh, today and tomorrow because ultimately I think teams were way above or way below their averages. For example, the Blazers shot 47% from deep in game one. The Nuggets shot 30% from deep in game one. If both have some sort of regression, positive regression, of course, for Denver, that's going to get them closer to each other from a scoring perspective. In addition, Denver only shot eight free throws in game one. They didn't shoot a lot of free throws during the regular season. On average, 19.5 per game. That ranked 27th in the NBA. But it was still 19.5 per game. They only shot eight in game one. I think they're going to get a few more opportunities from the charity stripe. And I want to look at this as well. The Nuggets have been pretty resilient when coming off a loss this season. If you go back to the beginning of February, they went on this three-game losing streak. It's one of the worst stretches they've had in the second half of the season because they've been a very good basketball team, even with the Murray injury. 
Since that three-game losing streak, Denver's 11-3 and three straight up when coming off a loss. They're beating the opposition by an average of 11 points per game. That includes the losses. It's not just the 11 wins. It's all the games. They are outscoring the opposition by an average of 11 points per game. Portland has been very good. I, if they go on to win this series, it's not going to surprise me. But I'm going to get the Nuggets here at minus one and a half in a bounce back situation. All right, let's talk a little baseball, too, before we wrap this thing up. The White Sox and the Cardinals, your boys, tonight at 8, 10 p.m. Eastern. What are you doing here? Yeah, it's on ESPN. And you know I feel like when a Cardinal bet is involved, I have to convince you with extra proof that uh, <laughs> it's not just me being a homer. Um, but me really as an analyst liking the pick. And you know I love this pick when it comes to the Chicago White Sox facing off against a left-handed starter. So I'm Here we go. I am going to take the White Sox on the run line plus 133 because Cardinal starter Kwang Young Kim is a lefty. And we've seen it a thousand times. Uh, whether we're on bet, whether on Daily Wager, whether here on the Daily Wager podcast, the Chicago White Sox absolutely smashed left-handed pitching. They are 23-2 and dating back to last season against lefty starters. They're 9-2 and this season against lefty starters. And the Cardinals not only try to lefty out, but their lineup is a little thin right now because of the injuries to Paul DeYoung and Tyler O'Neill. And their bad bench now has to add a DH to the lineup because this is an American League park. Lance Lynn, on the other hand, former Cardinal, is uh been awesome for the White Sox this season. Four and one, 1.55 ERA, 0.96 whip, and he's allowing just a 537 OPS. He is a power suppressing pitcher with nothing but fastballs up there. Lance Lynn, great pitcher for the White Sox. White Sox offense at home, crushing another lefty, plus 133 on the run line against my St. Louis Cardinals. See, I'll bet against the Redbirds if it's going to get me some green. Yeah, it's, 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 I was wondering about that because you told me you wanted to talk about this game. And it's like, well, the Cardinals are your team, but the White Sox against lefties are like your favorite play on earth. So two worlds colliding, <laughs> betting against the team. And you know what? If you end up losing the bet, at least your team ends up getting you a win. I have a slightly less marquee game that I'm going to focus on, Detroit and Cleveland. I really don't think a lot of people are going to tune into the Tigers and the Indians. I am going to play the Tigers in this game, minus 125. Now, you might ask yourself, why would you want to bet the Tigers against the Indians? Well, let's take a look at this. Cleveland's 24-20 and 20 this season. Detroit's 18-28, and 28, but the line is moving towards the Tigers. Why? Great question. I'll answer my own question here. Right-handed pitcher Spencer Turnbull is going to go for Detroit today. 2.88 ERA, and he's been getting better and better as the season wears on. Over his last three starts, he's given up just three earned runs and 18 and a third innings pitched, 19 strikeouts to only three walks during that stretch. And I believe he's coming off a complete game where he was absolutely fantastic. Cleveland has not been good against right-handed pitching this season. They're below average 20th in home runs, 30th in weighted runs created 23rd in weighted on base average against righties. Now for Cleveland, it's going to be lefty Sam Hentges. Hentges is not going to go five or six innings. He's going to be in there for one, maybe two innings. He's made six appearances this season. He's been eh, 11 earned runs in just 15 and a third innings pitch. And he started strong, but he's been fading. I think it's one of these young guys where there's enough tape on him now. There's enough of a scouting report where the opposition is figuring it out. Now, you got to hold your nose a bit on this one because Detroit is absolutely awful against left-handed pitching. But like I said, I don't expect Henches to be in the game for very long. So Detroit minus 125. If you want to get extra saucy and take the bullpens out of it, Detroit's minus 150 for the first five innings. I would play that up to maybe minus 155, 
maybe minus 160. That right there is it for today. 10 minutes of the betting inside you need, you want, and you know it. Please do us a favor if you all get the opportunity. Subscribe, rate, review if you are enjoying this show. And you know what? If you're not enjoying it, subscribe, rate, and review anyway. Help us out. We would love it. We would appreciate it. It will make this podcast go to the next level. But for now, alongside Tyler Foljam, I'm Joe Fortenball. We will see you later today on ESPN2 at 6 p.m. Eastern, Daily Wager.